Hi, this is Dan Thompson, and you're listening to the Apprenticeship Podcast. I have been going through a season on my podcasts talking about living in Babylon. And for the American conservative church, the American white conservative church, the spiritual discipline that the Lord is giving because we have not paid attention to the kingdom of God and more to instead our Christian nationalism and our power. As I've explored that, you'll have to go back to previous episodes. You'll have to see how I come to that conclusion and some of the things that are evident in our American white conservative Christianity uh, and the uh, just the things that I present to you. The thing that I really want to focus in now is how do we find our way through as we go into the Babylonian captivity of our own making? How do we as the church move forward? And my main contention is, is that there are a couple of things that we can bring with us. <clears throat> One is liturgy. And uh, that scares a lot of people who are not in liturgical churches or quote-unquote mainline churches. But I will say this, every group has liturgy. It's the work of worship. It's the work of the people. What are those spiritual rhythms that we can take with us that no matter what we find in the culture around us, we continue to worship and be discipled and grow in the grace of God and still live in the immense power of the kingdom of God. Daniel still prayed five times a day, as was his tradition, his habit, his liturgy, even when he was at the top of the government in Babylon and in Persia. So I wanted to explore that. And then I also want to explore what could we learn from the historic black church and from other ethnic churches, because they have always lived with joy in a culture that does not like them or in some ways blatantly just say we don't want you and i've wanted to have that conversation talk with different people explore that from different writings and so today i have an interview with dennis edwards Dennis uh, pastored in North Minneapolis at the same time period where I was pastoring in the Twin Cities as well. He is now professor of New Testament at North Park Seminary in the Chicago area and uh, author of a couple of books. One is a commentary on 1 Peter and another book that you really should get on your radar as well. And it's called Might from the Margins. And it is a, a very a straightforward read calling out to those who have been marginalized by the white evangelical church to know that you are empowered and can move forward in the power of the kingdom of God. It's a great read. I will link to that in our show notes, and then I will also link to a couple of newer articles that Dennis wrote in light of uh, the Derek Chauvin uh, verdict in Minneapolis as well. We did talk a little bit about that. That conversation we had was uh, when the jury had just been given the uh, the task of uh, deciding the verdict. And so 
the the conversation you're going to hear is pre-verdict, uh, and uh, but he had some things to say about that as well. Um, again, these are things that are important. I and I also get Dennis to explore. Uh, the ups, upsides and downsides of multi-ethnic churches and some of the struggles that he's seen as a lead pastor uh, in a church in a couple of contexts that were multi-ethnic. I, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope it challenges you. And I, I hope you will uh, continue to see what the Lord is doing uh, in our country, in our culture, and especially within the life of the church and how we can live as the remnant in the kingdom of God, uh, even during a, a, a spiritual Babylonian captivity. Uh, again, you can follow me. You can find me at ApprenticeToJesus.com. That's my blog. You can. Uh, that's the easiest way to find me. Uh, sometimes you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. It's a little harder to, to tell you how to find me there, but you you can get it done if you want. Uh, again, listen in to this uh, great conversation with Dennis Edwards. Here, it is so good to have uh, Dennis Edwards again. Uh, Dr. Dennis Edwards is a professor at North Park Seminary in Chicago area. Yeah. And uh, a good friend that I've gotten to know along the way. He mm-hmm. pastored in uh, North Minneapolis, uh, same time that I was pastoring in Columbia Heights. And our youngest mm-hmm. son, Jared, and his wife, Emma, were a part of his church. So, Dennis, thanks for right. being a part again. Well, Dan, it really is a pleasure to be with you. And I'm, I, do, I am glad that we have, the, uh, have Minnesota in common. Yeah. And, and it is something where we, the two times we've talked, it's, it's been around something else and then something blows up in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't long after we had talked the last time that George Floyd was killed. And then as we're talking right now, the closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I'm, I'm anxious about the verdict, but uh, yeah, that's what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, if, if I could ask you one, just one thing about that. Um, sure. If you could, if you could help us understand. Yeah. Um, the, the other day I was in another meeting uh, with another group down, down here in Alabama where we are planning a prayer vigil. So whenever the Chauvin verdict oh, yeah. is given, we'll get, oh, God uh, bless you. we'll have a prayer vigil that, that evening. Mm. And, um, and so as we're meeting, uh, one guy on the call, who's kind of leading, uh, the organization of it, mm-hmm. uh, basically said, I don't see how this could take long. It seems like a slam dunk. Yeah. And, uh, two black pastors of myself, uh, just physically rolled our eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, could you just kind of walk us through <laughs> how that's, that's hard to hear? Yeah, it is hard to hear. And I, I think, um, you know, look, I'm not a historian or a lawyer, but right. as a African-American man who's tried to pay attention to what's going on in our world, right. there's been many times when we think something is obvious. And I'm old enough to remember when Rodney King was beaten by those yes. officers and and everybody. And that was, you know, recorded, even though the, you know, the materials to record were pretty rudimentary compared to what we have now, mm-hmm. but it was recorded. Everybody thought, you know, a lot of people thought that was a slam dunk. 
but you but you saw how strategic they were. They moved the trial outside of LA into a you know Simi Valley to this uh, suburb. Mm. Um, the, all the officers were acquitted, and then we had unrest in the streets. But something that seemed kind of open and shut and slam dunk back then to us, yeah, played out differently. So there's a fair amount of cynicism, I think, um, on uh, the part of many of us. And just on a side note. Um, it was it was portrayed comically in the opening of Saturday Night Live a couple a few weeks ago, where it was set in Minnesota and you had you know two people, two uh, African American couple and a white couple. Yeah, like a news anchor show. Right, yeah. like a news anchor show, uh -huh. and uh, and the African American anchors were really um, uh, trying to show the white anchors that yeah we've been down this road before and what looks like an open and shut case to you uh, doesn't seem doesn't always go that way in our society. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, and it, there's just a, a, a fair amount of, to me, justified cynicism because yeah. it's like, oh, like yeah. you said, it's just, you think. Right, right. Is, we, we have a hard time in our society, I think, believing, uh, well, maybe until more recently, but generally thinking that the, um, that the authorities could be wrong and mm -hmm. that, the, uh, that black people could be right. It's just mm -hmm. in our society, it's been a hard thing for people a majority of people to get around, I think. Man, yeah. Um, so I, I, I wanna also talk about um, a couple of things in this, in relation to a subject that I've really been kind of walking through these last several years, yeah. um, right. this living in Babylon, where yeah. the American church, um, I, I believe is just, there's this serious pruning that's going on that needs mm -hmm. to happen. Sure. And, um, even judgment to a certain point, um, just the, the blindness that we've had mm -hmm. um, in regards to how we've become so nationalistic and we haven't really, we haven't dealt with this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and so there's this sense of this Babylonian exile and, but how do we live in Babylon? So I, mm -hmm. I, I really wanna, I've been wanting to explore what are the, what are the rhythms or what are the things, so through Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon and Esther in Persia. Some, what are the things where these are people who had what they knew ripped away from them, and, but yet they stayed faithful in the newness yeah. of the place that they had been taken. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and a, a couple of those areas where I wanted to key in on, uh, um, one I, I call liturgy just because it's the work of worship. Yeah. Um, that the that base work of worship that happens in our lives, uh, that some of those practices, even we could call them spiritual mm. disciplines and spiritual right. formation. Right. Um, what are some of those things that 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 help us walk through that to keep steady sure. when everything around us is changing? Right. And then I think the other thing that I I, I want to keep exploring is what can we learn from from the historic black churches uh, and from other ethnic churches because they quite frankly uh, live and worship Jesus in a place where they're not welcome in a lot of ways. Right. And um, so I just kind of, I, I really love to explore those two things with you and just get your thoughts on sure. what are some sure. spiritual rhythms that you have found helpful. And right. in, in a time like this where you're, you're living in Chicago now, but we both mm -hmm. pastored in Minneapolis. This mm -hmm. is a city that we have been a part of and right. blowing up all over again oh, because man. of yeah. right. um, racial tension. And right. uh, 
that can't be easy on you. I, you know, just no, no. But I do appreciate your uh, uh, description of that. You're right. It's a, it's tense, and we both have a fondness for that city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what are some of the things that you've sure? You've well, let me help you move for the. Well, let me try to uh, respond. I, you know, before I get into the rhythms, I do want to come back to your initial point. Um, and it's mm -hmm. not in any way a criticism, but. I noticed no, you, used the you used the term American church, and then mm -hmm. you said later, what can we learn from the historic Af you know, African-American okay. church? So, so when you say the American church, the question is, what's that, Yeah, right? Thank because you. Well, I mean, it's just the way, because what we're finding is how divided we are, right? Yeah. We're divided uh, you know, to some degree theologically, but we're divided in so many other ways. So. Mm -hmm. um, and I think often when people, when white people say the American church, they're thinking of a particular thing, like say a mm -hmm. white evangelical church or yep. a Roman Catholic church or something. So thank you. Cause yeah, I well, do I, mean the white evangelical. Yeah. Church. And I think that's worth, thank pushing, you. you know, to describe that better. I do want to do ways, that. Good, good. Cause in some ways I think the white American church is in exile, mm -hmm. but I use a different way of thinking about the ethnic minority churches. I call them diaspora, as Great. You, know, you note in my book, uh, My From the Margins, because a diaspora is a, isn't, a, isn't necessarily voluntary. It's like you, you're pushed there because circumstances have, have driven you to leave your homeland. Yep. But exile is often punishment, right? Mm -hmm. so, right. So I think, and there's just a, there's a scholarly resource I'll mention just in case people are wired that way. Oh yeah, I wanna make called, sure I note that too. Oh, it's called Strangers to the Family. It's by an African-American scholar. Her name is Shively Smith. Shively, S-H-I-V-E-L-Y, I think. Shively, okay. right, Smith. And she wrote this book called Strangers to the Family. And it's a, um, uh, it's a study basically of First Peter, but she makes a big distinction between the notion of exile and diaspora. Thank you. That's yeah. excellent. And I think it's helpful because yes. um, I agree with you that in many ways, the power church, if we can call it the white evangelical church, is in a state of exile because there's a yep. disorientation. There's a, there's a sense of uh, losing its moorings and all mm -hmm. those things. And I think there's a sense of punishment around that, if you, if mm -hmm. you use that word, or at least maybe a sense of judgment in some way. Mm -hmm. Whereas the exilic church, I mean, the uh, diaspora church, yes. uh, African-American, Latin American, uh, Asian American churches, other immigrant communities, yeah. they have been learning to navigate the new territory with their faith, but it's not born out of, out of judgment. It's born right. out of the injustice that was done to them. Yes. I mean, that's why people leave their countries. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So anyway, so I think those realities are there. Yes. And, uh, and I'm hoping that God that people are listening to what God may be saying through the churches mm -hmm. that have been disoriented, pushed away from their homeland, people who have been, are in the diaspora. Yeah. Um, and, and that the exilic church can learn from that. Right, that, that's exact, that, thank you for defining that for oh. me. Oh, that's good, just good. gonna help me move forward. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, so the, uh, those things that we can learn. Right, so right. Wh whichever way you wanna tackle this, whether it's yeah. the rhythms or the liturgies or uh, the diaspora church, what are some right. things? Well, I, I, I was thinking about that <clears throat> because of my, you know, just my own work. And then, yes. and then the way you posed the question to me, got me thinking about my pastoral experience. So I, I, the things that first came to mind is that you know, when you look at the alienated um, diaspora church, African-Americans and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe Latin American to some degree, there's a sense that they've learned how to resist 
oppressive power and that becomes part of a spiritual discipline i mean just think about the spirituals that we sang just think about the um the freedom kind of songs of the uh civil rights era these were songs and movements and a way to to couple their spiritual life with a resistance to oppressive power mm. so those weren't seen as political entities in and of themselves mm -hmm. they were seen as a spiritual force that would impact politics it would impact you know community life it would impact housing it would impact you know the way we maneuver so i i phrased it this way resistance to oppressive power as a spiritual discipline yeah so i think that's something we can learn from mm. from churches that have been marginalized i, I would also say there are a couple other things one is developing this just a just society is important mm. but i think in ethnic minority churches they don't want to see or we don't want to see the development of a just society at the expense of our the vitality of our souls you know right. what i mean okay so so that's held together what i fear happened in evangelicalism white evangelicalism is that you know people seem to be forfeiting their spiritual values for the sake of some political power Right. And and to a large degree, the African-American community has not wanted to bifurcate that way. It says, yes, we want a just society, but we're still Jesus people, you know, mm -hmm. in a very real sense of that. Right. And then just a couple more things. One would be the sense of community and solidarity. I think that's something that um, American society works against. American society is very competitive mm -hmm. and individualistic. But when you look at ethnic minority communities, there's mm. still still a premium on community togetherness, you know, uh, what we would say biblically koinonia, mm. right? The fellowship. So I think that's one another lesson. And then the last one I would say is joy. Mm. You know, that joy becomes something that's transcendent. It's not dependent upon everything going right. You know, we, in black churches, yes. we often cite the Psalms, you know, weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. Mm. There's a sense that you can still shout and jump and have joy even though the oppressor is still working against you. That's that's remarkable to me. You know, I, mm -hmm. I sometimes uh, reflect on that in my life. So yeah, so that's some community values, I think that come out of, uh, of uh, the um, diaspora church that speaks mm -hmm. to this exilic church. You know? I, I appreciate that. I, I was even uh, thinking about that, that second point that you gave uh, a little bit in a conversation last week as well, because, mm -hmm. um, just this, uh, the sense of for us as whites, mm -hmm. we tended to look last year, our, our, our attention was a little bit more in because mm -hmm. of COVID and we didn't yep. have much else to do. Right. <laughs> You're looking at this. And I said, I've, I've told people, I said, we, we thought we could solve racism in a six week Bible study, you know, ooh, ooh. six week book yeah. study. Oh man, I hear that. <laughs> and then we didn't solve it. So we got tired and lay back down, you know, yeah. and, um, and I, I think also is that that what you honed in on there mm -hmm. in that second point is we we tend to look for for us as whites the technicality of stuff. Well, if he had done this, and well, if she had done that, and mm -hmm. uh, the the technical part of it. Whereas mm -hmm. for ethnic communities of believers, it's that mm -hmm. community, and and oh. you know that you're doing this in the long haul, hmm. you know? and yeah. uh, I. Yeah. I I appreciate you highlighting that because that's, you know, that's, that's funny that you say it like that, because I never, I don't like to like give um, 
accusatory labels, especially ones that are loaded like Pharisee or something. But mm -hmm. you happen to make me think of an episode in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus heals a man with the withered hand. Mm -hmm. And when he's doing this, there's all these eyes on him because he's healing on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And and when you said the technicality of it, that's what hit me. It's like mm -hmm. for them, the technicality was it's the Sabbath. And 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 when we step back and say, wait a second, you've got a guy who's alienated from the rest of the community because he can't work, you know, well, he's got this withered hand. Jesus is about to heal this guy. And so instead of getting excited and say, here's another member of the community that's going to be able to contribute and be productive, they got upset because of the technicality. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think um, what you said like that just really hit me because I think that's what it comes out to be sometimes is mm -hmm. these sense of we'll we'll pay attention to the technicality so you miss the forest for the trees right yeah uh, yeah so i i really see that mm -hmm. how about some spiritual rhythms that you've yeah you've found is... helpful even though there's struggles yeah I, yeah we all yeah. get that <laughs> right right well that was a harder question for me because it, it was maybe even a little convicting it was you thought about it because i i started to think um it reminded me when I was younger and first starting out in ministry, I went to this workshop and and these clinical therapist guys were giving workshop to pastors and and they said at one point, you know, the ministry is not my life, my life's my ministry. And what they were saying is you get these lot of pastors who wound up like getting so frustrated. And then when they left their churches, they sort of lost their whole identity because it was all in quote unquote, the ministry. And they helped me to see that everything I do is part of my ministry, how I parent, how I recycle, how I exercise, all of these things, my life is my ministry. <clears throat> so when I had that shift in thinking, it made me, it, it pushed me to think more, um, uh, to, to develop better rhythms. But the convicting part of it is I fall short of my own desires, you know? Right, yeah, right. I get but that. But the things, the things that I have found helpful though um, have been, uh, things that I actually did not learn in the church of my childhood. The church of my childhood was be in church all the time. Right. Pastor would say, every time these doors are open, you need to be here. And everything was about the building, the building, the building, you know, the, the, the uh, singing, the shouting and the preaching. But I learned over time that uh, to value silence, mm. to, to, to come away like Jesus did. And, and uh, so I've taken personal retreats. And mm -hmm. uh, the thing I, one of the things I missed because of the pandemic is and I just had this conversation with my wife a couple of days ago was how um, I miss doing that. And I have right. a Catholic friend and she, she, uh, when she takes personal retreat, she'll go up to a whole week. She says, because you need some time to, to, to decompress mm. and then some time to get ready to get back into it. And mm. I think the best I've ever been able to manage was a weekend or, well, the length of time of a weekend, two days, mm -hmm. two and a half days or something. And I thought, oh my goodness, yes, I should, I, I, I don't want to say should, but I would relish uh, mm -hmm. a week-long personal retreat but yeah. but however much time you can give the idea of being away from the mm -hmm. from the hustle and bustle quiet reflective time even if it's like elijah in the desert where you have to just eat and sleep mm -hmm. for a while before you hear the voice of the lord and you know in first kings chapter 19 yep. the angel fed him and he <laughs> sleep you know he took a big nap and yep and you know so in some ways that's part of it uh-huh and then the second part that's invigorating for me, which I think of as a spiritual discipline, is the sense of fellowship and community. I used to didn't think of it as that. I just thought it was something that you do. But now I think of it as how do I, how, 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 um, how I enjoy 
the company of other believers yeah. without it having to always be a Bible study or something formal, but, yes. but having food um, mm -hmm. and celebrating with each other and enjoying each other's company. I have found it to be so enriching to my spiritual life just to be able mm -hmm. to share uh, with each other. And I missed that during the pandemic. So, oh, but, so no, yeah, but notice the two opposites. It's like by myself, uh -huh. but then also community. And it's like, I needed both of those things yes. to, to enrich my spiritual life. <laughs> yeah. And a, a lot of spiritual leaders would, uh, would say mm -hmm. that, um, because of silence, you value being with people better. Ah, I, I can hear that. I yeah. can hear that because I found that to be true just in my own life. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it, it's it's that, that richness that you value uh, yeah. being with and also the words, you know, you, yeah. your words are better. You know. Yes, indeed. I, I oh man, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. That means a lot to me. And I and I'm just gonna say again, I don't wanna uh, belabor it, but the church of my childhood, I'm not throwing throwing stones at it, but right. there was something about the fellowship part, I get that. There was something about the worship part, I think I get that. But it was so much that that we that silence was you know, was a problem. So you couldn't be yes. in church and be quiet. You know, it's only right. for extroverts and only for noisemakers. Right. And, I, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized that I, I thought for a while the church was no place for me because I'm an introvert. Yeah. I thought there was no space for me. And then as time went on, I realized, hey, there's a lot of us that have uh, that are introverts and realize that there's a rhythm. You're mm -hmm. not always up. You're not always down. Yep. But there's a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I so appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, I want to talk also, we've, we've, I, we've batted around uh, mm -hmm. multi-ethnic churches and yeah. you pastored a multi-ethnic church in yeah. Minnesota. And, um, I want to take a quote and I see your book behind you, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but and just from your book, it, right at the beginning of your introduction, uh, yeah. <laughs> shoot me if I ever work for white evangelicals again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said that. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. So, I, I know that you've you've yeah. mentioned some things. You've been in conversation. I've heard you on some other podcasts where you've been yeah. guest and right. everything. But some of those things you you led a multi ethnic yeah. church. But I know there's been right. some struggles with that. And I was wondering right. if you could just share some of the sure. strengths, weaknesses. Sure. And why do you I, want to shoot even? Oh, why do you want to shoot yourself? Not shoot. Why do you, why do you want to shoot well, fighting evangelicals? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or be or be shot. Or be shot. I mean, we yeah. don't we don't we don't own a gun, but it was yeah. uh, it was it was definitely hyperbolic. I should probably say that. Absolutely. But understand. at the same time, I it, it, there was a lot of frustration, and and I'll say it. I, I think it boils down to a couple of things. One is, um, on the upside, there's something that is powerfully. Um, um, witnessing the to the power of God when people from a, a variety of backgrounds come together with the common goal of of worshiping in yes. the fullness in their body and their spirit with each other um, so a lot of people point to Revelation 7 you know this every tribe nation around the around the throne it doesn't mean that every church is going to look like uh, heaven mm -hmm. but it does mean that some churches can powerfully witness to what we anticipate in glory mm. um, by their own geographic, in their own geographic locale. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so some people say, does every church need to be multi-ethnic? And when I was younger, I probably would have casually said yes, but I think my, I would probably nuance that a bit now, but my, mm -hmm. but the point is in those settings, it can mm. witness to something powerful, right? That's right. the upside. Mm 
Yes. On the downside is we often still defer to the way our culture operates, even in those settings. Okay. Meaning, I'll be explicit, yeah. it means that we don't wrestle with power and power is vested right now in white people in our country. Mm -hmm. So the church just defaults to a white privilege power structure and sometimes mm -hmm. they don't realize it. It's the normative. Mm -hmm. So when so when you have a multi-ethnic church, even with African-American pastor um, or, or, or different ethnic group pastor, the church seems to be multi-ethnic only to the degree to the, to the degree that white people are happy there. Mm. So you still defer to them. And that was happening to me in DC. Mm. So I wasn't, Minneapolis wasn't the only multicultural church right. I served. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this has been most of my journey. And one of the churches in DC, the first church I was at in DC had, um, you know, they seemed to be happy to have an African-American pastor. I was an associate at first and then the lead. But there was always this smaller group that rumbled and grumbled about having what, you know, with me representing the whole of the congregation, you know, mm -hmm. with me perhaps having more black people attend that, that made them come, uh, you know, that would oh. be comfortable for them. In fact, the line that I think I quote this one in the book, people were saying, and this came through the elder board, they were saying, Dennis uh, cares more about city people, which was a euphemism for black people. Uh, there'll be no place for us, meaning mm. white people from the suburbs. Mm. And I thought, why would they draw that conclusion? You know, there was nothing in my way of being that at least not that I knew of that showed any kind of favoritism, but our church was in the city. Right. We had neighbors, you know, one, two, three blocks away that were, um, that did not see themselves as belonging in our church. And I wanted us to explore that. Why didn't they see themselves as possibly coming to our church, right? So what you're hearing from me is to say on the upside, there's the potential for powerful witness. On the downside is if we don't reckon with power and privilege, then that multi-ethnic multi church can default to simply being a white church mm. with a smattering of, of non-white people in there that looks good on the brochure and the website, mm -hmm. but doesn't actually function as a, as a healthy community. Yeah. I, I, that one of the quotes I pulled out of your book on page 28, white evangelicals have created space to construct and defend unjust systems, often fortified by the way they define the gospel. Yeah. yeah. So, so take, for example, we have, uh, uh, well, we're talking about policing. We're talking about capital punishment. So mm -hmm. you take those big societal things and rather than you know, debating them in the public square and in terms of their effectiveness in a society, which I think some people want to do, white Christians say, well, those things are biblical. So you, mm. so now everything is biblical that they affirm rather than having a, you know, a, a discussion <clears throat> in terms of the way our government operates or what's mm. best for our society. Once you start calling it biblical, then all your people that are with you think, well, I have to be about capital punishment. I have to be about affirming policemen, no matter what they do, they're the authority. I mean, this happened a few years ago when Jeff Sessions was the uh, attorney, yeah, general. attorney general. Quote, he quotes Romans 13 and says, well, you're supposed to submit to the authorities. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's, with no, no attention to context or anything to quote to American citizens that they're gonna, that we just have to do what the government says. Mm -hmm. that's, 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 that doesn't really respect what's happening in the whole New Testament. Right. So my point is to say, that's the way power operates in our society and whiteness has operated. And so, so I think the evangelical church has been beholden to that mm. kind of image rather than um, um, really wrestling with how the New Testament plays out in our time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of that is just 
for us, we need to need to be more, more in conversation and asking those questions and being willing to listen. Yes, to, I think asking questions, being willing to listen, but I, yeah, and so I wouldn't dismiss And then that. work. <laughs> well, yes, yes, you're right. <clears throat> but I feel, but I still, I mean, I think the thing I'm trying to be careful about with Dan is even in that process that you just described, you know, watching, listening, working, there's a sense that <clears throat> the ethnic minority church still is serving mm. the white church in some way. Mm -hmm. It's serving the white church by being its, its um, resource so okay. that when I'm stuck, I'll go to the black church and ask them, how do they do this? Or, okay. or you know, so, so now our job is to not only uh, function in this world, now it's our job to teach you too. <laughs> so, so you, you follow yeah. what I'm saying? So, yes. it's, so it becomes actually even burdensome. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe in some way there is still, I think for white Christians, a space to learn and to grow and to you know, listen, as you said. Mm -hmm. but, but I think the thing that's tr troubling for me, and I actually don't have a full answer on it, but I think the thing that's troubling for me is how can, that white people need to have the conversation about how to do that without taxing us. Right, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's the simple way to say it. And, yeah. and there's some folks writing books, right? I mean, my friend Dave Swanson has the book on rediscipling the white church. And, right. and our friend, we both know uh, a newly Dr. Uh, Rosalie Norman. Yeah. She just got her uh, doctor of ministry degree. She's over at the Sanctuary Covenant Church. Mm -hmm. And she's written on what she calls white followership, mm -hmm. is that the whole idea of white people following is really for some people like what? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, reverse racism and all this stuff. But her point, <laughs> her, her point is that's that's a space that white people don't aren't used to filling. Mm -hmm. Is how do we follow rather than saying, all right, we're still out there leading, but we'll turn around and look at you guys to get mm -hmm. some pointers of how we can still stay out in front and lead. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the you know a, a, a bad way or a wrong yeah. way to look at um, multi ethnic ministry. Is it a is it so? I just want to, for me, is it, mm -hmm. would it be a matter of just joining with other black pastors and saying, I, I need you to show me how to break this, this unjust. Well, I, I feel this I, unjust. How can I help you <laughs> or what do well, I need to do? Well, to be honest, I don't, I, I don't know if I want to put it as a formula like that, but no, but no, think, it's fine. Yeah. No, but think of it in terms of how you have most of your relationships, marriage or stuff. I mean, presumably you enter into those relationships without a, the only agenda, let's put it this way, mm -hmm. that you have in your relationship is to grow together and figure yeah. out life together, right? Mm -hmm. So when you join a church, yeah, churches have their missions and we've gotten sophisticated with mission statements, but frankly, a lot of people join, they're not necessarily up to date on all those mission statements. What they are looking for is, do I belong here? Mm -hmm. And are people going to love me here? Can mm -hmm. I learn here and grow here and so forth? So I guess what I'm saying is, Rather than finding black pastors and and then becoming them becoming the source of your questions, right. just say just say I want a journey with you. Yeah, mm. and that's, that's it. Great. And then as you go along the journey and you encounter injustice, you encounter you 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 can then talk about it and yeah. you talk about it because you have a relationship now right. and you have yeah. a, you have a friendship, you have a bond, you have a, a, a you know a, something that's keeping you united in mm. Christ. So it's not just, let me turn to that black pastor for resources. Like, right oh, now we're both feeling this thing because mm -hmm. we've been working on the journey together. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what I hope for. Yeah. Although I, that's hard, but that's kind of what I hope for. Yeah. And I thank thanks for helping me de mm -hmm. define mm -hmm. that and clarify that for me. 
because um, sure. that's one of those things it, again here just the relationships we're starting to build and the friendships mm -hmm. we have um, <laughs> I think with especially one of the things that's been hard for for my wife and I as well in COVID is we've missed that those connections with these yeah. friends in black yeah. churches yeah we haven't been able to get together for meals you know so right like, right so like for the first time uh uh, even just a couple of weeks ago, uh, another couple that we used to go out with once a month, you know, yeah, just, yeah. we just to talk right. and, uh, we were like, Hey, it's time. I think we can do this. And so we met at our house and lunch ran right into dinner. <laughs> we were just, we missed each other. Right. You know? Exactly. And, I get that, man. And I that, get that. That we missed that fellowship and we just yeah. missed good honest conversation right right what's going on in their right. life what's going on in the world amen and, that's fellowship and yep. and just yeah. having that uh, yeah I agree. and then i then i can feel i thanks for saying that because then i can feel that when someone says well this trial should be a slam dunk and i, I just feel pain you know because yeah. i'm like yeah. well my friends over here don't right think exactly that's a right slam dunk, you exactly know? right yeah, no. yeah. No, I'm with you, Dan, and I, I appreciate that because I do think there's a lot to be said. I don't want to. I don't want to oversimplify the world, oversimplify the world's problems, and say, well, if we no. all just had dinner together, but because friends of mine have said that to me, and I think, <laughs> well, there's a lot of injustice that doesn't get solved over a meal. But when you are meeting over those meals and yeah. you start to understand, then together you can approach the injustices of the world right. rather than, uh, uh, um, yeah, you know, depending on somebody else to do it. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not waiting to call them up to meet for coffee because I got a question to ask. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. You're hearing yeah. me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Sure. Well, again, and thank you for the book, Might from the Margins. Oh, well, thank I, just you. A, a tremendous uh, resource. And, uh, and thanks for clarifying that those terms, exile and diaspora. Sure. Yeah, um, those are so important and, yeah. and understanding. Well, thank you. I appreciate so. you uh, engaging my book and having yeah. the conversation. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for all that yeah. you do and your writing and thank and you. the friendship. I I'm so grateful. I could just reach out to you, and you yeah. were just so generous to say, "Yep, let's do this." Oh, I appreciate uh, it. God bless you. Yeah, and and bless you, and also. While we both think about Minneapolis, Chicago's in yeah. a tough time. Yeah. Well. Oh my goodness. Yes. This With that uh, young, video young Adam. Yeah, yeah was Adam. shot, and I didn't want to see the video, and it wound up coming across my screen so fast. I, yeah. I like, whoa! I saw it before I. Yeah. Such um, a. But, yeah. So we're yeah. going through our tough times too. Yep. Exactly. So we we pray for you, and uh, I know we both pray for Minneapolis as well. So, thanks yeah. so much again. Thank God bless you. Thank you. God bless you.